You're listening to the North American Francophone Podcast, hosted in English by Claire-Marie Brisson and proudly recorded in Charlottesville, Virginia. When I first came up with the idea for the North American Francophone Podcast in November 2019, I knew that I was going to face some pushback. There have been historic rifts between English and French speakers where both linguistic populations live. For example, an article published in March 2018 in the New York Times entitled In Montreal, a Berlin Wall of the Mind by author Dan Bilevsky discusses the modern-day polarization of French speakers and English speakers by what Canadian author Hugh McLennan called the two solitudes, that French and English-speaking Quebecers coexist uneasily. Whether this is true or not, these feelings of animosity have played their role through interactions I have had with scholars, listeners, and readers of our new blog published primarily in English on thefrancophone.com. The main question? Why share all of this information in English? I remember one of the first times that I wanted to share francophone stories in English was during my undergraduate years at the University of Michigan. And just so that the listeners have a little bit of context into what that time looked like for me, I was a double major and double minor at the moment when I realized I wanted to be a high school French teacher. I was taking French language and literature courses. I began taking secondary education courses. I had already studied a lot of political science. I was considering maybe becoming a lawyer. But you know how it is when you are in an undergraduate course of study. Your ideas change, your perspectives change, and you realize that certain things are more important than others. All in all, I'm very happy I had the experience, but it also showed me what was missing in the experience. I remember that it was maybe the first or second semester of classes. I had a course with a Belgian instructor, and he heard my accent in French and asked if I was from France or if I was from Canada, and I explained that I was from neither. I had grown up in Metro Detroit to a family that had connections to Canada, but I wasn't from those areas. After that exchange, I noticed something as we continued through the semester. He began speaking to me more and more in English than in French, and I didn't know what to make of that. Was it because my geography revealed I wasn't from a Francophone area? Was it because he felt more comfortable speaking to me in French? Or was it because he didn't consider me Francophone anymore? I had to know, and so in office hours I asked him, what was the reason that you began speaking more English with me than French? He didn't have a very clear response at first. He sat back and pondered for a little bit, and then eventually said, Well, I didn't give it much thought, but I knew that you grew up in the United States, so you probably are more familiar with English and maybe more comfortable with it. That is, of course, a very logical reason why someone would stop using as much French with another person. However, it made me begin to question what it meant to be francophone. In fact, it made me question what the weight of geography was when somebody was saying that they were francophone. Could I, somebody born in Detroit with the name Claire-Marie Brisson, actually claim to be francophone even if I didn't grow up in a French-speaking environment? By that, I mean, I didn't grow up in France. I didn't grow up in Canada. I didn't grow up in one of the 75 francophone countries in the world. There was nothing that pointed to me having a Frenchness. And that's a very interesting concept, to think of Frenchness, to think of language as a cultural signifier, as belonging. 
the whole concept of a sense of belonging as a source of connectedness is a very abstract dimension of human interrelatedness. This sense of belonging is so strong that group membership has gone now even to the internet realm, where we have the social connections through social media, where we add people to our phone, to our Instagram, to our Facebook, to our LinkedIn. We want to be accepted. We want to be part of social circles. Of course, there are people who try to distance themselves from that, but that is in itself a choice. There is also the choice of a community to accept or reject someone into that community. And that's the second dimension. That's the second level I wanted to underscore when I talk about the weight of language is who is accepted into these communities? Who is accepted as Francophone? Another dimension of this question is of authority and agency. Who speaks for Francophones? And who can speak for the Francophone community outside of the French language? That was something I grappled with a lot because I realized that there are a lot of tensions that continue to exist when you place French and English side by side. Now, all of this doesn't mean I don't understand why there are tensions surrounding English and French. French, of course, is a minority language in North America, and it's important to promote minority languages, including the First Nations languages, including languages that do make up North American communities that may not be represented on a larger scale. I absolutely identify with that. But on the other hand, we need to realize that in order to have people access these stories if they don't speak that language, you have to have an open door to sharing them in English. Although around 45% of people in Quebec can speak both English and French, there is a resistance to English combined with French. I'm reading from an article published in La Presse in November 2017 by author Caroline Plante about the pushback to the expression Bonjour, hi. This phrase was often used in stores in the province of Quebec, particularly in tourist-heavy areas of Montreal or Quebec City, to welcome tourists who may not speak French and who may prefer to speak in English by including both salutations, bonjour and hi, afterwards. For my French-speaking listeners, I will read you the text in French first. For my English-speaking listeners, enjoy listening to the French. Afterwards, there will be a translation. Le Parti québécois demandait à l'Assemblée nationale de reconnaître que le bonjour high est un irritant qui ne reflète pas le statut du français. Ce n'est pas tout à fait au point, a déclaré Monsieur Couillard. L'expression qu'il mentionne à répétition là et qu'il qualifie d'irritante, ce n'est pas une menace pour le français, ce n'est pas un recul pour le français. Alors, tout est dans l'attitude. On retrouve encore une fois, du côté du Parti québécois, cette habitude qui date de longtemps de créer une opposition, un rejet de la langue anglaise au Québec, a-t-il ajouté. A rough translation in English is The Parti québécois, or the Québec Party, asked the Assemblée nationale, or the National Assembly, to recognize that bonjour, hi, is an irritating phrase which does not reflect the status of French in the province. It's not quite to the point, declared Mr. Couillard. 
The expression that he mentions repeatedly there, and which is qualified as an irritant, is not a threat to French. It is not a step backwards for French. So it's all in the attitude. We find once again on the side of the Parti Québécois this long-standing habit of creating an opposition, a rejection of the English language in Quebec, he added. This rejection is not only confined to Quebec, of course. There are people who would like to reject English in other parts of North America. But what I think is a better strategy and what the main goal of this podcast is, is to welcome multivocality, to understand that, yes, you may not want to lose French, but by speaking English and voicing Francophone concerns or sharing cultural ideas in English, you're not at all hurting French. My evidence for this claim comes from a document published by the United Nations in 2010 entitled Minority Rights, International Standards and Guidance for Implementation. The document states the following, quote, The promotion and protection of the rights of minorities require particular attention to be paid to issues such as the recognition of minorities' existence, efforts to guarantee their rights to non-discrimination and equality, the promotion of multicultural and intercultural education nationally and locally, the promotion of their participation in all aspects of public life, the inclusion of their concerns in development and poverty reduction processes, disparities in social indicators such as employment, health and housing, the situation of women, and the special concerns of children belonging to minorities. This document also underscores that there is no internationally agreed definition as to which groups constitute minorities worldwide. However, if we are to consider Francophone populations, I think that we should start voicing minority ideas, cultural histories, and testimonies in English so more people can find out about them. I would also like to argue that North American Francophones are not necessarily French-speaking. In fact, the North American Francophone experience is that of a diaspora, which is a scattered population whose origins lie in a separate geographic locale. For many Francophone North Americans, that might be in French Canada, it could be in Louisiana, it could be in France, or it could be somewhere else in the French-speaking world. And the fact is, if you are a part of this diaspora, you may have lost your language. You may have lost your connection to that. But I personally do not see that as not belonging to the North American Francophone experience or the Franco-American experience. The main issue that North American Francophones or people who identify as Franco-Americans, French-Americans, French-Canadians, Louisianans, Acadians, all of these cultural signifiers point to one thing, a certain Frenchness or Francophoneness. And regardless if you speak English or not, there can be affiliation or there can be a feeling of belonging to these groups even if you only speak English. And that's another reason that I felt so strongly about making this podcast 
is because as somebody who grew up in Michigan, I feel very tied to these stories. As somebody who encounters people who say that they have French-Canadian background, or who talk to me about their desire to learn French because they knew that one of their ancestors or somebody in their family had come from France to North America, that's a special connection to this North American Francophone world or this North American Francophone diaspora that can't be neglected solely on the basis of language. Again, the weight of the language voicing the Francophony in English is complex. It is a choice on my part to speak English, to speak to these topics in English. But speaking English is also a reality of the North American Francophone experience of the communities and of the people that make up the communities that I see so active on Facebook, on Twitter, even on their own blogs and websites. They have a connection to this community. They would like to create new things that bind our community together, but language is something that they've found to be extremely difficult and extremely complex. And so if you have questions for me in French, I'm always happy to answer them in French. I'm always happy to dialogue in French, but I truly believe that talking about these issues in English allows for me to express myself in a way that I don't think my own ancestors could have. And that allows me to reclaim English as a space of sharing between Anglophone and Francophone topics, between histories that have only converged but never merged in the past. There is a movement toward this well beyond the scope of my own podcast or my blog. It's prevalent in online social communities. It's prevalent in other podcasts such as the French Canadian Legacy podcast or the Maple Stars and Stripes podcast. And voicing the Francophonie in English is becoming more and more acceptable even in Francophone majority spaces. For example, when I was last in Montreal, I heard Anglophones pronouncing the street names perfectly well in French and then continuing on in English. That's a nod to the bilingual nature of the city. This does not mean that everyone who is Anglophone suddenly wants to voice the Francophonie in English, but it points to a very positive trend that I've seen online in person, and continuing forward, I think, in the future. And that is respecting the multicultural layers that exist around you and to respect what histories you don't know in your own language. So hopefully, I, I really would love to hear some feedback from some of my listeners. If my podcast has opened you to Francophone issues, feel free to get in touch with me. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Francophone. You can also find me on Twitter at the underscore Francophone, or you can send me an email on my website, there's an email form, thefrancophone.com is the website, or you could just send a direct email to northamericanfrancophone at gmail.com. What is your experience as an Anglophone or somebody who's grown up in an English-speaking environment to Francophone topics? How do you engage with them? If you have a comment, send it my way. I might actually post it to my social media or I'll share it with the public on my next podcast. But as always, stay curious, and I look forward to sharing more Francophone topics with you in English in future episodes. Until next time.